Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hodgeberg, and this is episode number 35. How do you figure out the best cruise for yourself? That's a question everyone goes through when picking a Royal Caribbean cruise. And so this week, we're going to look at how to tackle the prospect of comparing cruises, itineraries, and ships to help you find the best one for you. Let's go through the process and offer some insight in helping you pick out the next Royal Caribbean cruise that's perfect for you and your family. Here we go. One of our podcast listeners, David Gonzalez, emailed us last week with a question that inspired this week's podcast episode. David writes, I'd love to hear a show about how to best go about researching and estimating a cruise. I've been to the Royal Caribbean website, and the sheer number of ships and itineraries is daunting, to say the least. Let's say I wanted to figure out whether to do Alaska, Mediterranean, or the Caribbean and wanted a comparison shop. Any suggestions or expert tips on how to approach this? I thought this was a great question to tackle this week because whether you're a veteran Royal Caribbean cruiser or a first-timer, you're going to be going through this exact process. Now, as you probably know, Royal Caribbean operates 21 ships these days, so there's a lot to choose from. So when you look at things from a blank slate standpoint of, yes, I want to take a Royal Caribbean cruise, where do I start? I think there are three main factors to consider at the very beginning of the cruise selection process. Time of the year your cruise, budget, and how many nights you're roughly interested in taking. Starting with the time of year, very likely, you have some sort of time span you're considering for your cruise vacation. Some people may have a specific week in mind because it's when their kids are off from school on vacation, or perhaps there's a month or two when you know that work is slow enough that you can probably get that time off. You may have six months at a time, who knows, but you've probably got a somewhat idea of a time that you're going to want to take off. What time of the year you pick can dictate a lot of the cruises that you'll be able to choose from. As an example, if you know you can only do a Christmas week cruise, then European cruises are out as an option since Royal Caribbean brings most of its ships back to the Western Hemisphere in the winter. Alternatively, a summer cruise will open up with Europe while limiting at the same time your choices in the Caribbean. How much you have to spend is also a big consideration. I think I speak for everyone listening to this podcast when I say we don't have limitless budgets for cruises. I know, I'm still kind of getting over that myself. Some budgets can be larger than others, but we generally have an amount of money we'd like to spend on a cruise vacation, and that needs to include things like airfare, hotels, and other incidentals as well. I don't usually have an exact number in mind when I'm doing this, but I do know when I'm looking to spend maybe just $1,000 or so versus spending a couple of thousand dollars or more on some sort of more of an extravagant affair. Last, we have how many nights. Just like your budget, we all have an idea of how much time we can spend on the cruise. You could have limitless money, but if you only have, let's say, a week or so to get off of work or maybe even just a long weekend, that will reduce your options very quickly. In David's question, he compared deciding between Alaska, the Mediterranean, and the Caribbean and how to comparison shop. So let's use that as our example. Assuming we're Americans, and this podcast demographic say that's most likely, we'd have to decide between how viable, say, a Mediterranean cruise is first off the bat because it's the most exotic and the most expensive option. Airfare alone for a European cruise can make or break this cruise. Likewise, even for Europeans listening to this, if you're going across the pond to a United States cruise, be it a Caribbean cruise, be it a Alaska cruise, same thing. On top of it, a Mediterranean cruise will require more than just, say, a week since you need to fly, get acclimated, and a lot of the European cruises tend to be longer than a week. They're closer to like 10 to maybe even 14 days. So we're probably looking at like two weeks minimum, never mind if we go for even a longer cruise than that. So we need to know if we have enough vacation time and if we can financially afford it. Up to this podcast, for me, the answer to these questions have always been no. I'd love to do a Mediterranean cruise someday, especially because of the history that you can see there and these great ports, but vacation time alone has sunk this idea. Since I'm not willing to spend most of my allotted vacation time I get from my day job into 
essentially one vacation for the year. Also, the money that's needed for airfare and pretty much everything else involved in affording Europe just doesn't make sense for me financially when I can consider something in the Western Hemisphere and I'll be able to get a lot more out of that money. This is obviously just my opinion, but I think the decision process makes sense for everyone just knowing how to tackle it. You're going to have similar decisions for Alaska and the Caribbean. Once you factor in cost, time, and the time of year, you should be able to narrow things down to maybe a dozen or so cruises. What I like to do at this point is open up a spreadsheet program like Microsoft Excel or even Google Spreadsheets, which is free, and start a comparison. I'll go to Royal Caribbean website, RoyalCaribbean.com, and start inputting my dates and destinations I'm interested in and start filtering out cruises that are too short or too long for my needs or just too expensive, and which may, of course, also fall into some of the other categories. I'll then start writing in my spreadsheet the ship name, date, and start pricing staterooms out. I'll also note the category I choose, and sometimes I'll be able to find cruises that I can afford a balcony on, while others may be just an inside or ocean view cabin to be realistic. I also like to note where the ship departs from, and a last column for random notes. The random notes are things I need to remember later when I'm comparing things. As an example, I may find a great price on Explorer of the Seas from New Jersey, but note that Explorer has not been refurbished yet. Or I may note that the Grandeur of the Seas cruise goes to Port Canaveral as a port stop, which isn't that exciting for me personally. You'll all have to go through all the possibilities that interest you and then look over your spreadsheet. The spreadsheet helps keep everything in perspective rather than an army of web browser tabs that are open or just random notes of paper. It's easier to compare and kind of remember, oh yeah, that cruise was that and that had stopped there and that would cost that and that was in a balcony. Then again, of course, I'm a geek and I love to organize things and spreadsheets are one of the best ways I find to do it. Now you reach the really the most objective part of the process when you start making personal decisions to whittle things down. I will take into consideration these factors. Have I cruised on the ship before? I tend to favor ships that I haven't cruised on before so I can try new ships out. How many of the ports have I visited before? A cruise to ports I've never been to will be the highest interest to me than a cruise to ports I've been to or ports that are just not interesting. Travel considerations like do I need to fly to the cruise? If I can drive, I can save money on airfare and perhaps even hotels as well as make the process just easier on everybody alone. How good is the deal of this cruise? The lower the price, especially per night, the more money I have to spend on the cruise and splurge. Plus, who doesn't love a good deal, right? On top of all this, there's other X factors to consider. Uh, using David's example, my wife is dying to take an Alaska cruise, so that would definitely weigh heavily on this decision. If you have your heart set on a warm weather cruise, Alaska may not be it also. If you want history and or culture in a cruise, well, then the Mediterranean would be a great choice. Again, these are all personal decisions that factor in for everyone. You know, when I was looking at my Navigator this season, I took, I did this exact thing, spreadsheet out, listed everything out there. And one of the main factors I didn't even think about, this is a talk about X factor. We were looking it over. My wife noted that on Navigator the Seas, we could have gotten one of those ocean view, family ocean view cabins. And the idea of getting a huge amount of space for her totally put that over the top. So again, having the spreadsheet though helps make it easy and figure out exactly what's good for you. And hopefully, David, this will help you out and others too listening to this, but I'm curious how you all narrow down your choices with picking a cruise. So you know what? Email me at matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com and share with me your tips on how you price shop and how you compare and if there are any great online tools you're aware of or any websites or anything else. If you use the Ouija board, whatever it is, I want to know how you pick your cruise. So there you go. Let's answer your emails, questions, Facebook messages, tweets, whatever it is, voicemails. It's all here. Let's start with an email from Christopher Percy. And Christopher writes, The Voyager class ships in episode 33 definitely broke new ground as to amenities offered on cruise ships and set the course for newer ships since then. We remember the first time we sailed on this class of ship and we were wowed by the promenade. Until then, we could not have imagined a parade in a multi-level area in the center of a ship. 
the balance of size, amenities, dining options, and value still make this class of ship a viable cruising option today, even though newer ships may be bigger and have more whiz-bang features. Royal Caribbean really does have ships for everyone, and the Voyager-class ships took cruising to a new level, and their impact is still felt today as new classes of ships are launched. Totally agree, Christopher, especially about how relevant they are still today. It's funny because Voyager-class, despite the fact that, like you mentioned, there's uh, we've had Freedom-class, we've had Oasis-class, and we're going to have Quantum-class come out, but Voyager-class is still very, very relevant. I still consider it a large cruise ship category class of ships, and it's very much up there in terms of deciding which cruise is right for you. So great points, Christopher. Thank you. Next email is from... Paul and Sarah Jones from Marlowe in England. Remember when I said most of our podcast listeners were from the United States? Well, not Paul and Sarah, but thank you. I really appreciate you guys listening. Anyway, Paul and Sarah write, My wife and I are hooked on the Royal Caribbean cruising. In the last three years, we've cruised 16 nights on the Adventure of the Seas around the Mediterranean, 12 nights on Independence of the Seas around the Canary Islands, 12 nights on Adventure of the Seas around Iceland and Norway, and 14 nights around the Mediterranean and Independence. Our next cruise is 13 nights on Burlington of the Seas, cruising around the Baltics, and we're booked to go on Anthem of the Seas in 2015. We love listening to your podcast and download every episode week by week, but my wife Sarah keeps complaining that we only hear from you, Matt. She wants to make a request. As 50% or more of your cruisers are female, please can we ask if you have a podcast from your wife, so my wife can get a female's opinion on cruising and the cruises we've already taken. My wife thinks this would be a great idea and would appeal to your female listeners. Paul and Sarah, thank you for the email, and you are absolutely right. And, you know, I have invited my wife to come on here many, many times. In fact, Paul and Sarah, I showed your exact email to my wife, had her read it and say, my podcast listeners want to hear from you. Will you come on and answer them? And she said no. <laughs> she, it's nothing personal. She says she does not like the hearing her voice and the whole process. She loves cruising, too. I will try to get some female perspective on things. That's actually not a bad idea. Maybe I'll bring on... You may have heard we had an episode. It was a while back now, going back to our Oasis of the Seas episode, where I had my good friend Becky Mankin come on. And, of course, Becky is a female, and there's a perspective there. But I will try to work in some more female perspective. Maybe we can do an episode about kind of girl cruising, and not in the stereotypical sense, but, you know, getting some perspective on some things that are going to be appealing to women on cruises. I mean... There's certain things that are carryover. I mean, I would say the spa, which is the first thing that comes to mind, but of course, I mean, I like the spa too, so you know, something. it's not like it's one or the other, but certainly I think there are definitely aspects of cruising, especially in Royal Caribbean, that appeal to women especially, so that might not be a bad idea, and maybe we'll have to work in some options there to make that happen. But I appreciate the email, and thank you for the honest feedback, Paul and Sarah. Next is an email from Shannon. I listen and look forward to your podcast every week. My family is heading out on Liberty of the Seas in about a month, and I have a question about Adventure Ocean. My daughters are six and almost five, and I noticed that the programs are split into groups three and five and six and eight. How strictly does Adventure Ocean staff adhere to these age groups? I feel that my six-year-old would do a lot better in a group with her sister. And another Adventure Ocean question, how are children identified as being in Adventure Ocean? We sailed on Disney Dream last year, and they had non-removable bracelets. Thanks for any help. I love the podcast. Shannon, great questions. And I can answer this from first-hand experience. My daughter, who is three, was obviously just eligible for Adventure Ocean. And one of the things, they are very strict, especially about in the beginning, uh, getting in. So as an example, a two-and-a-half-year-old or two-year-old that's 11 months and 13 days can't get on Adventure Ocean because they're very strict about those rules. So they start out in their individual groups. However, I do know, especially when the numbers are slimmer and they need to consolidate, like if there were only like two or three kids in my daughter's three to five group, sometimes they would merge them with the six to eight group. Just, you know, it's, it's a waste of staff to have, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I have all these people, more staff than kids. And that usually happens at nighttime. It's not usually the case. I would say it's more like 
the periphery times, like maybe very early in the morning, very late at night, maybe even during port days, they'll do stuff like that. But by and large, their activities are based around their age groups. They don't usually do a whole lot of that. So I wouldn't bet on your kids being together and you can't say, hey, my five-year-old would rather be in the six to eight-year-old group. I don't think they would go for that. You can mention it and say, you know, if things are slower and there's no one there, you know, feel free to. But I would have to assume and you should go in with the understanding that they're going to be in separate groups. Now, how are children identified? They have bracelets just as well. When you go to your... It's actually interesting because on our Navigator of the Seas cruise, I was going to say something and then I remembered because, again, we were fog delayed, so we didn't have an exactly a normal embarkation process. But when we went on Navigator of the Seas, we got, during the muster drill, there were Adventure Ocean staff members that walked all around the room and gave bracelets to kids based on which age group Adventure Ocean they were. So my daughter got, just like you did, a non-removable bracelet that she wore for the rest of the cruise. I have seen on other cruises prior to this, them doing this process, the wristbands and the sign-ups and all that, actually on embarkation day as soon as you walk into the ship. I didn't see a navigator. It doesn't mean that's not the policy. It just means, again, the fog delay, I think, screwed everything up. But they do have that. So that way, you know, God forbid there's something that happens on the ship and there's an emergency and they need to go to muster stations. The and, I, and you're not with your kid, they know exactly where to bring your child, and they actually tell you specifically, don't go to Adventure Ocean, go to your muster station, we will deliver your child to you there. So, that should hopefully answer you there. Thank you, Shannon. We have our good friend Peter Lockhart from Scotland, and this Peter, of course, has a review here of his Oasis of the Seas cruise, that was a Western Caribbean, and we'll play his voicemail right now. Take it away, Peter. Hi, Matt, and thanks for your podcast on the Voyager class. Yes, I must say, that's my favorite size of ship. I thought I'd give you my thoughts on our recent cruise in the Caribbean on Oasis. Giving you the positives first of all. Choice of restaurants, bars and entertainment, truly magnificent. Our stateroom, which was a junior suite, was well worth the extra cost, particularly bearing in mind having a nice large balcony to sample the Caribbean weather. Food and service in the main dining room, well, a credit to Royal Caribbean. The drinks package, well worth every penny. Particularly, we liked the bottled water and speciality coffees being included. Definitely a requirement if you're going to make use of the drinks package. The Wi-Fi unlimited package and accessibility in the ship was really good. However, let's get to the stage surely where we have free Wi-Fi on board. On the negative side, Matt, well, I have to say I felt the ship was too big with too many venues. This means more often than not that some are underused or indeed empty and devoid of atmosphere. Disappointing. Ports of Call. Labadee. Wonderful and great fun. Falmouth. Poor. Shopping area where the ship docks reminded me of something from Disneyland. Wasn't impressed. Cozumel. A dump. I wouldn't get off there the next time. More nighttime entertainment on the decks. There's a suggestion. Coming from Scotland... We can't understand why you guys have the weather. Why not make more use of it on the ship? Anyway, I'm glad I've done it. It was a great experience, but next time it's a smaller ship for me. Thanks, Matt, and keep up the good work on the podcast. Thank you, Peter. I love the voicemails when we can get them, so thank you for sending them in. The 
review that you had, I thought was really great. You know, I thought you were very honest. And that's what I love about this podcast is that you guys are, don't hold back and you tell us like it is. And we want to share that with everybody. And you know, your reaction to Oasis being too big for you, I totally get that. Some people don't love that. Me, I love it. I thought the size was great. I love having more options. But I do recognize that not everyone's like that. And that's great. That's what makes Royal Caribbean so much fun. Because again, 21 ships in the fleet with a couple more coming online soon. Save a little bit for everything. And obviously you're a fan of the Voyager class, as you mentioned, so I totally get that. And, you know, it's 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 a very personal thing, so now you know, but you got to try it out, and I think you definitely had a good time. You're just like you said, next time you prefer something different, so nothing wrong with that. I do have to mention, by the way, in Peter's email, he wrote, P.S., our kilts and tartan gear went down a storm. I don't know what that means. Never been asked for so many photos. Felt like a celeb. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Peter. Always appreciate hearing from you. Next is an email from Neil Barnes. Just a note to say how much I enjoy the podcast. Myself and my wife are looking forward to our second cruise on a refurbished Radiance class ship, Brilliance of the Seas, from Harwich to St. Petersburg in June, and they help keep us excited for our upcoming cruise. I wanted to ask if you've ever had the pleasure of trying the chef's table yet. This seems to be an option rarely mentioned when the dining room options are discussed. I understand it's an expensive option at $95 per person, but the food and atmosphere are amazing. And to see the head chef prepare the courses in front of us, coupled with superb mashed wines, different for every course, was an amazing experience. The trio of soups had taken over two days to make alone. For your listeners that enjoy wine, we enjoyed complimentary high-end champagne on arrival and one or two glasses of different premium wine per course. So the $95 suddenly looked like good value, as we probably enjoyed, I'd say, $70 to $80 worth of wine. I know it will not be to everyone's taste or budget, but... We had a great time and really got to know the others sitting around the table while we enjoyed the chef's table. I hope that mentioning this might allow your listeners to understand that the cost is quite good value for five superb courses with the best food on the ship. Thank you, Neil. Great point. I have not tried it yet, but I actually do have a review on royalcaribbeanblog.com that I'll put a link in our show notes to. From one of our readers, Mark, he was on Oasis of the Season. He got to try it, and I know that he was raving about it. I think he has gone back since then and, and enjoyed it quite a bit. I've heard nothing but great things about the chef's table. You're right. It's expensive. I mean, look, you're paying a hundred bucks per person to go eat dinner. That's a lot of money to put out there, but it's great to hear that the money is worth it in the end. So I appreciate the review and I always love hearing back from people who get to try new things, new things to them, you know, and was it worth it? What did you enjoy? What didn't you enjoy? And it sounds like Neil is raving for that one. So thank you, Neil. Next, we have an email from Gabriella Bruzel. I'd love for you to do a podcast on special diets on Royal Caribbean cruises. I'm on a gluten-free diet and would like to know how this dietary restriction or any allergy was handled for other cruisers. Love the podcast. You know, we could definitely get, as you mentioned it now, Gabriella, a good podcast idea of maybe getting someone from Royal Caribbean's uh, dining something or other to come on to talk about. I'm not sure which department that is, so I'm just making a generalization, but someone from Royal Caribbean to talk about that. The basics of it, though, was when you make your reservation, you should mention it immediately. And certainly when you get on board, one of the things I always recommend is going on embarkation day after it's open. Usually it takes like a couple hours, but when you get to the main dining room, it opens up and there's usually a head waiter on duty. And that's when you need to go there, especially speak with the head waiter. Let them know that you have a special request, be it gluten-free, be it an allergy, whatever it is, and let them know what your allergy is and how they can handle it for you. Now, again, hopefully you do this in advance, so you let them know about what your request is, but just reiterating it, getting feedback on what you need to do if you need to speak to anyone else. Sometimes speaking to the chef is the next logical step. Regardless, it's important to make sure you do that on your first day of your cruise. It doesn't take very long, and again, it's usually pretty quick, actually, to get it done, and something I would definitely recommend. The other thing you need to do is before your cruise, send an email to special underscore needs at rccl.com. It's special underscore needs 
at rccl.com. Now, Royal Caribbean will accommodate food allergies, gluten-free, kosher, low-fat, and low-sodium requests. Also, they have things like vegetarian meals, including Indian-style vegetarian, are available on a lot of menus to begin with. Lactose-free soy milk and sure and kosher meals are available at no extra charge. All you have to do is let them know. Again, all these requests need to be done at least 45 days prior to sailing and 90 days for European or South American itineraries. So make sure you let them know well in advance. Again, I'll put that email in our show notes, but it's special underscore needs at rccl.com. But it may not be a bad idea to have someone on Royal Caribbean to talk about some of the options you have as well. Because again, it varies from ship to ship, but that's definitely what you need to do with the very basics of it. Lastly, we have an email from Jeff. Hi, Matt. I'd love to hear the pros and cons of taking a back-to-back cruise on Royal Caribbean. We've met people who have done it and rave about it and would like to learn more. Thanks for the great show. Keep up the great work. You know, back-to-back cruises are something that a lot of people talk about because I think everyone always wants people to keep their cruise going. So having two in a row or even longer, maybe even three or four, is always something people will look for. So, you know what? I'm going to put an open casting call out there to our podcast listeners. If anyone's out there that has been on back-to-back cruises, if you've done them multiple times, that's even better and would like to come on the podcast to talk about it, I invite you, based on our feedback, if we could get perhaps a female, but if not, guys are cool too. Just email me, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com and let me know and we'll hopefully hook you up there and help Jeff out here with that topic. It's a, it is a good topic, I agree. Back-to-back cruises are something that's very popular and if you get a great deal on it, which a lot of people do, it's even better. Now, of course, uh, we want to hear from you as well because we had some great emails this week and I want to hear from you. So not just everyone else here, but if you, whether you've emailed us before or never, I want to hear from you again this week. So please email me. Uh, you can email me, Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. You can tweet us. We are at the RCL blog. Facebook, we are facebook.com slash royalcaribbeanblog. Or you'd be like Peter and call the Royal Caribbean blog voicemail by calling 408-6-ROYAL-6. That's 408-676-9256. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.